Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast that takes you right into the hub of the Scottish culinary scene. We're back for another episode partnered with Scotland Food and Drink to celebrate and promote the Scottish Food and Drink fortnight from the 5th to the 20th of September. We are now halfway through the campaign as Scotland's food and drink industry celebrates local legends with regional producers showcasing their produce through their social media with the aim of encouraging people to source, buy and eat Scottish food and drink. Scran is taking a culinary tour around Scotland, chatting to a range of these local legends about their businesses, produce and their community. This week, the local legends, also known as my guests, are based in the central belt of Scotland. I'm going to chat to business owners about their passion for their work and why the local food and drink scene has lots to offer. My first guest is Route to Market founder and chef Scott Smith. The idea for Route to Market was born out of the response to the sudden closure of the hospitality sector amid the COVID-19 crisis and set up by the team behind Scott's restaurant, Fjord. Route to Market provides the public with some of the country's best produce from suppliers and producers that usually only deal with restaurants. I spoke to Scott about the site's backstory, the produce, and his top dinner party guests. One of my guests on this episode is Scott Smith, um, who is the chef and owner of your restaurant in Edinburgh. So hi, Scott, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Rosalind. How are you? I'm fine, yeah, just uh, enjoying the rain after the weekend's lovely sunshine. Yeah, I know, I know. It's kind of um, got a one day of summer back and we're, we're <laughs> straight back out of it again. Yep. <laughs> Um, so as I mentioned, you've got a restaurant in Edinburgh. Um, I hope I'm saying it right, Fjord. Yeah, that's right. Um, and obviously that you set that up um, a couple of years ago and then COVID hit, which led you to set up Route to Market. Um, so for anyone that doesn't know, could you just tell me a little bit about the backstory of Route to Market? Yeah, so I mean, for us, it was, uh, it was I suppose, our, our response to the to the pandemic and the, the kind of the very quick closure of the hospitality industry across well, across across the UK. We knew we needed to set up something or diversify in some way to uh, to survive the financial turmoil we're about to experience. Um, obviously, at this stage, we had no idea whether we'd be getting any government support, which which obviously has um, you know it has come through for for many many people now. We looked at lots of options. We looked at just going down the takeaway route, and you know which a lot of people have. But uh, I think from our point of view, we we kind of had a, th- a think about it and thought, you know, well, what's the point in just us surviving if we get to the other side of this uh, this lockdown and all our suppliers and producers that have you know, essentially made the restaurant what it is aren't aren't there anymore? Um, so we wanted to try and come up with a solution which would which would help us survive, but also in turn provide support uh, for them. So. Um, it was a uh, yeah. It was a, it was a very quick, quick kind of idea that came together, and we we turned it around in about two days following following the lockdown, which was um, a huge huge effort from the whole team, really. Uh, yeah, it's that's that's amazing, and um, it's essentially a, an online kind of marketplace. Is that right? Where you you know you're sort of set up to be the middleman to get your suppliers to customize. Yeah. Is that right? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, the conversation around it kind of started when we, we contacted suppliers to see if they would still be operating and whether we could operate a takeaway, takeaway business. And one supplier in particular, who, who I wouldn't mention, um, kind of broke down on the phone to me that, you know, he'd been in business for, you know, best part of 35 years and his entire business has been set up supplying the trade and that disappeared overnight. And um, yes, we could have done takeaway, but that just wouldn't have provided the support that he would have needed. So we, we changed tactic on that and set up this online shop, essentially opening up our kind of book of suppliers, which lots of restaurants keep quite, uh, quite secret. You know, you spend a long time building up your, your network of, of relied suppliers and, um, and you want to, you want, you want to try and keep as much of that for yourself as a business. But in this instance, it was, how do we, how do we connect you directly with our customers and, uh, create more of a public, public platform for, for them to, to access. That supplier who was obviously like his business was over. Is that, is that, is the route to market kind of helped him, um, stay afloat? Oh, hugely, yeah. We've kind of gone back through the figures of 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 how that initial period was, and you know he lost a hundred percent of his business, and we managed to, although it was only a small dent, we managed to provide him with twenty percent of all of the business he was doing previously. So I mean that was enough for him to bring some people back off furlough, as well as um, give him the time and the resources to set up his own his own online shop as well, and uh, and direct customers that way. So yeah, I mean he's he's now back in business with the restaurants and he's helped us in return with um lending of of refrigerated vehicles for for doing the deliveries as well so it's been a yeah it's been a, a really kind of humbling experience to kind of i've always had a good connection with our suppliers and producers but it's definitely um tightened and, and strengthened those relationships yeah it's good and um what would you say has been the most popular items that you've sold online kind of hazard i guess at flower if you had flower <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For the for the for the first few weeks, fl- yeah, um, flour was just f- flying out, and um, obviously, um, supermarkets helped perpetuate that 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 kind of um, those sales. And we weren't able to get retail packs, but we were buying you know the sixteen kilo bags and breaking them down into retail size. I think probably our, our most successful one was probably the the Scottish asparagus. Though we've worked with uh, two farms over the over the years at, at the restaurant. Yeah, I think we were getting through obscene amounts of asparagus, actually, to the point where they weren't actually able to keep up, which is amazing because usually they get to the end of their asparagus season and uh, and the kind of restaurants take them off the menu and they're left with a surplus. But this year, they were just unable to keep up with the, the demand that uh, that we were selling it at. And um, what's been the feedback from customers? Yeah, it's been, it's been great, actually. It's been really, really supportive. I suppose from their point of view, the opportunity to get access to some produce, which is the quality they wouldn't get in the supermarket usually, uh, but also, you know, access to produce that they've either never heard of or just just wouldn't be able to get hold of anyway. It's kind of opened up a whole new, whole new relationship with our customers as well. We've had kind of our front of house team and some some of the chefs constantly back and forth with customers on email, you know, suggesting cooking techniques and and recipes. The feedback's been fantastic and and very supportive. And even when we have made errors and we have and we'll happily hold our hands up to the errors we, we've made we are a you know a small restaurant we're not <laughs> we're not a, we're not a retail and logistics company we just had to do that to to make this uh to make it through this period yeah i feel like during during lockdown and hopefully to continue there was a real sense of wanting to support local 
producers and local businesses and because everyone is really aware of how bad it was, how quickly and how quickly it, it kind of happened. So I don't know, did you, is that kind of the, the feeling you got from how quickly all this got taken up? No, no, absolutely. I, I think one thing lockdown highlighted um, and quite rightly so, in my opinion, the kind of um, the flawed supply network that we have kind of in this country and uh, the, the dependency that we have on on imported goods, whereas, you know, we are a producing country. We produce a huge amount of uh, amazing um, fruit, vegetables, fish, shellfish, meat, and, you know, a huge proportion of that goes, goes abroad. And um, I think people started to wake up to realize what, 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 what is on the doorstep. And it's, you know, it's what chefs have been banging on about for years. But um, I think now the, the public have had the opportunity to sample that. I, I really hope that that trend doesn't just revert back. I mean, it will do in some ways for convenience, but um, in terms of um, open up that market to people, I think that's, that's really kind of changed people's perceptions of uh of what they should be eating and, and how they should be sourcing. And one of the things that um, you source on your um, produce list is foraged items. Um, how do you go about you know, getting them? Um, well, as a restaurant, we, w- we would get that ourselves. But we had all of our, our team delivery driving and, and packing boxes and picking. So we didn't have time for that ourselves. So we, we've got a, a forager that we also use for the restaurant who basically stepped up his side of stuff for us. And it's somebody we've worked with for for years so the couple of years at Fuhr and he had funnily enough actually he was in hospital with his partner um having um twins as the lockdown happened so so he came out the other side with twins and an empty city he said it was like something from 28 days later he thought something had uh like the twilight zone the twins came and the world disappeared yeah we we, we just supported him and he he flipped his business very quickly and went from selling kind of large bulk to restaurants to packaging stuff retail for us so yeah we've been getting it all from him and it's been a again a really kind of nice support both ways uh, on that side what was the staff reaction to the changes and how you operated at that time um they were fantastic um i mean we had their kind of support and enthusiasm and energy was was amazing actually and and you know we, we work with these people every day in the restaurant, um, working with their, their kind of trained skill set and to see how quickly people were able to to learn a new skill set and to adapt and to adjust to to the changing times was just amazing. And I think they all knew the seriousness of the situation. There's absolutely no way we could have we could have uh, executed it with, without them. Um and route to market is it is it available just in Edinburgh and also how do you do your deliveries? The first, the first kind of week in a bit, because we adapted it so quickly, uh, was literally a, an Excel spreadsheet that we we sent out to people who who signed up to a mailing list, and they would fill it in and send it back, and it was it was incredibly, incredibly clunky, but it also built a nice community because people had to sign up to be a part of it. We quickly developed that into an online store, not the one we have now, but we we adapted it into one that was an invite only one, so. We, we did it just for Edinburgh. People had to sign up to be to be a part of it, and then so we divided Edinburgh up into into five different areas, and then we we split up that mailing list into those postcodes. We sent out a, a mailing, uh, an email invite to the to the store five days a week to those separate groups. We've since we've since adapted that because we've got the restaurant, so we're, we've got a kind of an open online website now. 
it has lost a slight bit of that kind of community feel we had in the lockdown. Um, but we knew that, you know, we knew that the market was going to change and we knew that the, the necessity that was there before with everything else being shut, that doesn't exist anymore and we needed to create more convenience. So it is still just uh, Edinburgh. So it's EH1 to, to EH17, um, but it's now people can go on, they can now choose their delivery day, they can choose their delivery time, they can do collection as well. So we've just tried to, um, we've just tried to make it a lot more convenient now. The theme for this year's Scottish Food and Drink Fortnight, which is obviously happening just now, um, is local legends. Um, so how would you say this applies to you and who would you say is your local legend? It's quite a, it's quite a odd thing to get, <laughs> to get tagged with. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm lovely and amazing at the same time. You know, I think what we've done is uh, we've managed to not only keep our team fully employed we've not we've not made anybody unemployed through this period which which i think is quite an achievement but we've we've actually expanded the team so we've we've gone from kind of 20 staff across the company up to about 28 staff now so we've we've not only not lost jobs but we've created new employment and and we provided a very early lifeline for a lot of a lot of suppliers and producers that although that lifeline was coming um there, there would have been a lot of money and a lot of produce wasted in those early days i think if we had not stepped in as quickly as we we had um and in terms of i mean our our, our legends i mean they are our our staff and our suppliers i mean it's the whole thing wouldn't have been possible without them and and um, just to step away um, from route to market for a couple of questions, this is this is one of my favourite questions to ask people because I'm always always interested to see what they would say. But if you could cook Uh-oh. for <laughs> if if you could cook for any uh, two people, whether or not they're with us, um, who would they be and why? Two people that I would that I would love to to cook for um, purely because they've been huge inspirations on uh, on my career and and also entertainment um, with TV and and and, and their books. Sadly, neither of them with us anymore and uh, would be uh, Keith Floyd and uh, Anthony Bourdain. I think that'd be a very entertaining dinner party. Yeah, I think so. it would be. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, talking about Keith Floyd at the weekend because still, they still use clips on Saturday Kitchen and he was just hilarious. He's just amazing. He's just he's one of these absolute naturals that you just can't stop watching. And um, I don't know if it's just um, I'm sure I'm sure Aiden, who's my son, doesn't understand it at all because he's not even born yet. But he's going through teething just now, and for some reason, the only thing which keeps him calm and stops him crying is putting Keith Floyd on. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's really bizarre. Children's TV isn't for him, but actually, put Keith Floyd on and he'll just sit and watch it. You've got a future chef in the making there then. <laughs> <laughs> Not if I can help it. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, that was great to chat and thank you for your time. Okay, thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers. Remember to celebrate the best that Scotland's food and drink industry has to offer by taking part in the Scottish Food and Drink Fortnight from the 5th to the 20th of September. Food and drink producers can get involved by posting on social media about why you, your business, products or people make Scotland's food and drink industry so special under the hashtag Scott Food Fort 20 and tagging at Scott Food Drink Handle on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Next up, my guest is Nikki Storer, farmer and owner of family-run Ardross Farm Shop based in Fife, one of the first farm shops in Scotland. The venture started 15 years ago when the family decided to diversify after facing hard times. All of the shop produce is sourced from the farm and they work with hundreds of producers across the country. 
One of the interesting talking points of the interview is the sustainable practices of the farm under a movement called regenerative farming. This involves the introduction of bees and sowing directly onto the soil. On a personal note, it was great talking to Nikki. Being a fifer myself, it makes me proud that there are many thriving local businesses near where I grew up. So now I'm joined with Nikki from Ardross Farm Shop um, in Kinross and Fife. Um, so hi Nikki, how are you? I'm very well, thank you very much for having me. It's okay, thank you for coming on. So just to, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, how did Ardross Farm Shop begin? Okay, we started 15 years ago and we didn't really mean to start a farm shop, but mum and dad were looking at ways to diversify. Farming was going through quite a tough period at that time and we knew we wanted to stay in farming, but we needed to find a different source of income. And dad um, went and decided we were going to sell our food that we produced on the farm direct to the consumer. At the time, local food wasn't really a thing. And to be perfectly honest, we all thought he was completely crazy. But we went with it and he took a cattle beast up to St Andrew's um, slaughterhouse and he came back and announced that we had three weeks until it had hung and it needed butchered to try and find a way to sell it. So that was how we started. Um, it was um, very much a family effort. We found a little cart shed at the back door and we scrubbed and painted it and delivered leaflets that we got made up locally and just prayed that somebody would be interested in our food. So 15 years ago, does that mean that you were probably one of the first farm shops in Scotland then? Um, one of, yeah, not the first. There was quite a few going in some way, whether it was an honesty box um, or a cafe um, before us. And there was also ones that started up quite a while before us, but local food wasn't really a thing. And in Sadly, it didn't take off. So I think we just hit it at the right, the right place. It's funny to think that that people weren't that bothered about like local produce when it's like so important now to consumers. I think. Yeah, it's um, astounds us actually every day that we deal with our customers. Um, people are genuinely interested now in where their food comes from, how it was grown, how far it's been flown, or how many miles it's been driven. Uh, which is amazing. And I think 15 years ago was the heyday of supermarkets and of convenience. It was convenience that people were looking for rather than provenance, but it's definitely changed. And so so obviously went well from that first kind of selling of uh, the beef that you had. Did it happen quite fast or has it been quite a sort of slow progression for the farm shop? Um, it's been fairly slow. So for us, um, a lot of other farm shops have shot up and got bigger quicker. Um, but we decided that we wanted to make sure that every part of our business was solid and making money before we moved on. So we've done it quite slowly and um, made sure that everything we're adding and um, we're looking at what the consumers are, are asking for. So, our, I mean, our first day we took in, I think it was £23.06. And we were absolutely delighted um, and we were only open certain days a week, but now we're open seven days a week and we didn't close during coronavirus and we sell thousands of local products, um, which has taken us 15 years to get there. <laughs> um, so how are you, this is probably seems like a daft question, but um, how are the farm and the shop connected? Um, well, now one wouldn't work without the other. Um, they're very much integrated. Dealing direct with the public has given us a bit of breathing space rather than dealing with big business. So um, it gave us a chance to see what people are really asking for and what they're interested in. And we've changed everything that we do on the farm to respond to that. So we, um, we now don't um, grow any supermarket um, vegetables for the supermarkets. Everything that we grow veg-wise goes 
directly through the shop. All of our cattle that we breed on the farm, we've changed everything we do there. We are um, changed our breed of cattle, the way we rear them, how they slaughter them, and everything goes through the shop as well. Um, we've added on sheep and um, we sell lamb and mutton and all of that goes through the shop. So our, mar- our only market for the majority of the stuff that we produce is our shop and our own customers. Um, we're still a um, commercial farm. We still grow wheat and barley and oilseed rape and beans. Um, but a huge part of it now is direct selling. And um, we've kind of already covered this, but um, why do you think farm shops have increased in popularity? Um, I think there was a lot of scares um, with food. I can't remember when, but it probably was coincided around about 15 years ago. And people wanted to know a little bit more about where their food was coming from. And along with celebrity chefs making cooking cool again, I think a lot of people started looking at ingredients. um, And just at that stage, a lot of farmers were diversifying. So we kind of fit that bill that um, people can come in and meet the farmer and they can pick up vegetables um, or beef or or any produce. And it was just grown in the fields outside the farm shop. So I think people really value that now. And especially well during the recent times, people have realised that the supply chains are very, very long. So dealing in a short supply chain and having that security um, means quite a lot to people, I think. Nikki, one of the things I noticed in lockdown was, personally, I didn't really go to the supermarket. I haven't been, in fact, I went for the first time in about five months last week. But uh, what I wanted to do was to support local shops. And I'm in Glasgow, so I don't really have uh, many farm shops. But did you find that there was more of an um, uptake in, in local shopping during lockdown from your community? Yes, we had an amazing support from the community. We were um, inundated with people who had previously shopped with us but also who hadn't shopped with us and I think it was just as you were saying people were feeling safer going to a local shop and they wanted to support local people. One thing that during lockdown I was immensely proud of was how the local food system responded. We deal with hundreds of local food suppliers from Puddled Up Pork and the Buffalo Farm, Mungo's Well, um, they provide our flour And they all worked pretty much round the clock to make sure that um, everybody had supplies, that nobody was going hungry. We've had companies that were dealing with just small companies who worked 24 hours a day, had three different shifts in to ensure that everybody managed to get food. And although there was maybe a couple of weeks that we struggled to get some things, it was amazing how quickly um, the local food systems were up and running and got back on their feet and um, ensured that everybody was everybody had flour everybody had pasta um, meat was never a problem um, they were always there and it made me really proud that we could um, make sure that people were safe and eating nutritious food during such a scary time. Well what I was going to say off the back of that question was um, I know Stephen Mitchell at the Buffalo Farm and he got in touch during lockdown and said that he's he was like inundated with orders and has been able to like almost upscale everything and he was really happy so it was just interesting how everyone moved quickly and and managed to sort of change their business model overnight you have a commercial kitchen in your farm shop so how how does that work and what are the advantages of it um well we started the commercial kitchen because we realized that not everybody wants to buy every part of an animal So when we first started the shop, we thought, this is great. We're going to sell our beef. Everything's going brilliantly. And this is such a great idea. And all of a sudden we realized that 
there were certain cuts that people just weren't either interested in or it was summertime, so they didn't want a roast. So we started the commercial kitchen to try and add value to things that weren't um, selling. We are very passionate about selling nose to tail. So we make sure that we sell every part of our animal. So we started off making steak pies to deal with some of the um, cuts that weren't selling over the summertime. Um, Then the fat we render down and we make into beef dripping. We make stock from all the bones um, and it's just kind of grown arms and legs. Um, The same, we do that with the vegetables. So if we have a glut of anything, we make soups or um, we are one of our best sellers at the moment is beetroot chutney. We had a huge amount of beetroot that we didn't know what to do with. So the kitchen set to and worked unbelievably hard peeling and cooking and roasting beetroot. Um, So it's really just to make sure that we are as as sustainable as possible and also reacting to what customers are wanting. So if there's something we can't source and a customer is asking for it, then we'll start making it. Um, And one of the things as well as, you know, people being interested in farm shops and provenance is kind of the environment and things. Um, So can you explain about a little bit about that and how it works with farming? Um, Yeah, so um, as I said earlier, a lot of dealing directly with the customer has given us breathing space to question everything that we're doing and why we're doing it. A lot of the time when you're dealing with big business, they dictate everything that you're doing um, from the seed you use to the sprays you use to when you you spray it. Um, So all of a sudden we were freed up from a lot of that. And we started speaking to people and um, obviously in the headlines, um, climate change, this virus, um, it's pretty doom and gloom at the moment. So probably about 10 years ago, we started looking at what we could do on the farm to um, make sure that our business was as sustainable and we could stand up and say that we were doing as much as possible to, to help climate change and to farm in as best a way as we could. And we stumbled across um, a term, a movement. I guess, regenerative agriculture, um, which is really taking force all over the world, actually. And a lot of farmers, there's a group in Fife um, that are practicing it. And it's all about improving your resources and um, leaving your farm in a better environmental situation than when you found it. Um, It focuses on soil and improving soil health. It's so exciting, possibly not for the average person. Soil's not overly exciting. But if you think about um, everything that we eat is grown in the soil. And if you have healthy soil that's full of worms and microbes, then the carrot that you are growing is um, packed full of nutrients and minerals. So that carrot that you're eating is making you healthy. Whereas you're, if you're growing a carrot in soil that's dead, that's been sprayed, that's been ploughed, that's been um, harrowed, the carrot, yes, will be healthy for you, but there won't be nearly as many nutrients in it. Um, so from one point of view, we were looking at it from a nutritional point of view for the shop. But also it turns out that the more you plough, the more you harrow the soil, the more carbon it releases. And that's obviously a big thing to do with climate change Um, so regenerative farming is about keeping a cover on the soil at all times a living root structure and um, one of the claims that they found recently is that if just a small percentage maybe 10 to 20 percent of agricultural production was moved to the best practice regenerative systems then it would sequest enough co2 to actually um, 
reverse climate change, which is unbelievably exciting. But if just some of us could start doing that and start, um, it's called carbon farming. So you're literally sucking carbon out of the air back into the ground. And lots of farmers are moving towards this, um, which is a really exciting part of agriculture. We could be part of the solution because agriculture has got a pretty hard time um, with climate change recently. Um, I've been asking some people this. Um, the Scottish Food and Drink Fortnight, which is currently happening just now, um, its theme is local legends. Um, so I just wanted to ask you, uh, why do you think that applies to you and who would be your local legend? Um, I guess we've been here quite a long time. 15 years we've been um, around, which is longer than quite a lot of businesses. It's not to say that we're better than a lot of businesses, but we do know quite a lot. Perhaps what we were doing during COVID, our team were absolutely phenomenal and we worked 24 hours a day to make sure that everybody in the community um, had food and nobody was left out. So I would like to think it was a, a team effort, um, if I was a local hero, that our dross um, as a business was recognised. And um, a local hero in terms of food, one I would like to say that I've recently been spending a lot of time with is Caroline Miller. Um, and she's actually head of Go Rural and she's been pushing agritourism forward. And a lot of that is focused on getting people onto farms and eating produce um, having a real farm experience and having a tour. And I think she deserves to be a local food hero for that because the more people that we can get onto farms and the more people we can connect back to the producer, the better, I think, for the future of, of Scottish food. Uh, well, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. It was good to catch up and find out more about what you're up to. You're very welcome. And next time, I'm from Kinghorn, so next time I'm in Fife, I'll need to come up and have a, a wee wander around your farm shop. Oh, great. But yeah, thank you very much. And my final guest is Paisley Drinks co-founder Brian who set up his business when working in Asda as a buyer, a job where he became passionate about Scottish produce. He built his business with a view of improving the quality of the soft drink scene in Scotland. Paisley Drinks Co, which caters to a younger audience, was once wholesale but has now moved online during the pandemic in an effort to support other local producers. I spoke to Brian about why he thinks a younger audience is more engaged with craft soda and how his new flavours are based on childhood nostalgia. I'm joined by Brian O'Shea from the Paisley Drinks Company. Hi Brian, how are you? Yeah, good. How's it going? I'm good, thanks. So tell me, what's the story behind Paisley Drinks Co? Yeah, so the Paisley Drinks Company was just, it was a real idea that really started, came into my head when my wife was pregnant in 2018 and we were going out for a lot of meals and we were looking at the soft drinks menu or non-alcoholic drinks and it was not very innovative or very exciting. So that really set the ball rolling in terms of looking into developing some new, unique flavours using only like high quality premium ingredients. And so off the back of what you've just said, do you think there's a growing gap in the market for craft soda like there was for craft beer? Yeah, when we like obviously before I launched into it, we'd done a lot of research into it and there's so many stats there. Like the premium end of the soft drinks market is growing um, at a double figure rate. A further consumers are really concerned about artificial ingredients in their soft drinks. They want to know, you know, people will go out, they want to know the story behind their food. That's that's becoming the same sort of thing in soft drinks as well. And there's such a trend as well at the minute with people not not wanting to go out and necessarily drink alcohol with every 
occasion they're going out for a meal or whatever, because there's so many. I think it's like one in five people in the UK avoid drinking alcohol, and amongst millennials, it's one in four. So it's a real trend towards picking up new products that aren't loaded with artificial ingredients. So that's why we've really we've set about using, we only use natural ingredients. We know the, the source of all our ingredients. We take the time and effort to understand that. And we try to make some unique and exciting flavours. Do you know, there's so many different, we wanted to come up with just, as I say, something new and exciting that will excite people when they're looking at a soft drinks menu. And if you had to pick, uh, what would you say is your favourite craft soda? Oh, that's um, oh, that's like asking to pick which is your favourite child between my <laughs> my ones there. Um, I think it would be, I, I really like the blueberry ginger soda that we've came up with. It came from an idea of, um, it was just playing about with smoothies and different things and blueberry and ginger just works. It's a real balance. The heat and the kick of the ginger with the blueberry, the sweetness of the blueberry, it's just, um, it's a really unique flavour, but a really nice, nice juice. I've seen some of the flavour ranges, um, so I wanted to ask, what inspired your range? Was it childhood nostalgia, a sweet tooth? What would you say was the main inspiration? Yeah, definitely a bit of childhood nostalgia, like things when we've developed all the flavours. But I'd done a lot of research and like cream soda was something that was very nostalgic to me. It reminds me of going out with my my family for ice cream floats and stuff like that. So, But we wanted to create a twist to it. So with the cream soda, we've added some rhubarb to it. That's very much um, the story behind that. Then we also have, within our range, we have a strawberry coconut soda. Um, and that one is inspired, believe it or not, by snowballs. So we all, as in Scotland, we absolutely love snowballs the strawberry jam and the coconut. So that was why not try it in a drink. And it it's just, it's something really different. As I say, it's something new, it's innovative, and it's something that hopefully excites people to drink it. The feedback that we get from it is, is really, really strong. So that's the way we've tried to look at creating a range of drinks that really appeal to the Scottish consumer as well, that, that they're flavours that are familiar to us, but also new. So yeah, nostalgia is definitely a big part of it. And would you say you're benefiting from people drinking less alcohol, especially younger people? Seems to be a lot of younger people drink a lot less than I feel like we did when we were young. Yeah, absolutely. Millennials are, there certainly is, you know, whether there's a demand to reduce their alcohol intake there and they are looking for something new new to drink they're wanting to find stuff that's natural that doesn't have anything artificial in it do you know and it's not about maybe going out and having a few pints now it's people will go out they're looking just to sit and chill out with their friends as I say and enjoy soft drinks but they don't want to they're they're looking for something premium that's different that will wow them it's just as exciting as drinking alcoholic drinks but obviously without the impact of the alcohol um, it's a real interesting trend and whether that's driven by people being more health conscious or social media, it's um, it's definitely something that's going to continue to grow because we've seen like there's been some surveys done that will show that around 20% of millennials have bought a craft soda in the past month. And, you know, these are the people that are really concerned about 
as I say, what's, what goes into their ingredients, how it's been sourced, what's the story behind it. Um, these are the things that are really important. So, yeah, that's something that we have seen. You know, when we're out at events and stuff like that, we really we get to interact with the customers and it's, that's a clear message. The millennials are ones that are really interested in, in the craft soda movement. Nice, and I suppose given the flavours you've mentioned, it is, it is something a bit different and I imagine it probably, they all probably make pretty good mocktails as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where, you know, not every, like when, when we're going out and pitching to bars and stuff like that, we've done a lot of the work on the flavour profile to make it interesting. So the one, the strawberry coconut that I was talking about earlier, it sits really well with a rum. So it just means that the bars have got really up the sleeve. They've got quick and easy, interesting drinks as well. So yeah, there's that element as well. We, we, we see them. We've come up with some really interesting pairings. We've worked with um, a, a local bartender who's, who's come up with a load of profiles and some of them um, pairing the raspberry lemonade with a Dura 10-year-old, which, <laughs> which might upset some people, but it's a really great flavour. So as, that's, as I say, it's just trying to create something that's new and exciting. Um, and uh, how, how have you guys been affected by um, COVID? I know that back in April, my colleague at the time, Sean, wrote something about how you'd launched a delivery service. Yeah, yeah, we had. So at the start of, you know, like everybody, we lost, because a lot of our um, customer base, our business was set up business to business primarily. And we were in the position, you know, in March, everybody knew something was coming. A lot of the business owners, we delivered direct to a lot of our customers. So we could see the nervousness on them and we knew there was probably going to be some form of shutdown. Not as big as, as it turned out to be because of COVID. But what at the time we had an e-commerce site set up. So we could really push the soft drinks down that. But instead of just doing pushing Paisley Drinks Company, we became an e-commerce business overnight, really. And we teamed up with a lot of small producers that were local to us that either didn't really have an e-commerce site. So we were kind of almost becoming a retailer for a lot of small brands. And it just, it, you know, it really helped save the business going through. And it was a real lifeline for a lot of the brands because I think we worked with about 10 different brands. So um, there's lots of guys out there like the Nut Shack, the Cora Explorer, brands a lot of people probably had never heard of that are quite new and making their way. So it was just great to work with all these guys and get to know their products. And that's where, you know, people were really, it just shows how big the movement is for people wanting to shop local and understand the story behind them because each of the businesses we are working with, there's people that are at the forefront of that. And it was just good getting their message out there. And that's, as I say, it was just, it was good to kind of work together. And it was probably, we ended up as busy as ever, learning certainly new skill sets about being an e-commerce rather than a business-to-business company. And that's kind of the theme for um, this year's Scottish Food and Drink Fortnight, which is happening just now, um, local legends. So how would you say that applies to you and who would be your local legend? Scott Williams at Williams Brothers has been a real help to us. He's really, he's somebody that's been there, done it, and he's just, he's offered us a lot of advice and helped us along the way. So, yeah, Scott, with, with the brand that they've built, you know, the beers that they produce are brilliant. So it's just, you know, it's these people that have already been on the road that we're trying to go down. The, the advice that they offer us is invaluable. 
as I say, these like all the companies that we worked with across the board during lockdown, we all speak to each other at least once a month just to see how we're getting on. Is there any support we can help them? Is there any good contacts? So the network across Scotland is great. As I say, at the minute, things are a bit different. It's picking up the phone or arranging a Zoom call rather than meetings. But, you know, everybody's got an open door. And as I say, that's the thing that I love about Scottish, the scene of Scotland food and drinks. It's, yeah, it's good you've got, it's, it's good that it's supportive and it's not like, you know, competitive or anything. It's it's nice, nice to hear. No, it definitely is. And that's, you know, the food and drink market is so big and it's so important, but probably what's, but my background previously was I was a buyer at a supermarket. So we know that it's only a small percentage of, uh, like I know it's only a small percentage of the overall supermarkets turnover in Scotland is Scottish products. But that's where the scene is so fantastic at the minute. There's so many new companies coming onto the scene, producing great products that they're so passionate about. And there's so many great stories there. And that's part of the reason we are setting up this as a secondary company, um, the Elephant Store, to really push that message. We're really aiming to launch and we're having to, there's so much, there's so many people out there that we want to speak to and work with to give them another platform to showcase their great products. Oh, well, thank you very much for your time, Brian, um, and hope you go off and enjoy the nice weather today. No, thank you very much for your time and invite me on the podcast. It's been great. Thanks to my guests, Scott, Nikki and Brian, and thank you to you for listening to another episode of Scran. We would like to thank Scotland Food & Drink for partnering with us on this episode. We will be speaking to more Scottish food producers as part of the series in our next episode. Remember to visit fooddrinkfort.scot for ways to get involved in the Scottish Food & Drink Fortnight from the 5th to the 20th of September. Scran is a Laudable production and is available wherever you get your podcasts, but for immersive and interactive content, you can download the Entail app. Scran is presented and co-produced by me, Rosalind Erskine, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Marvin McIntyre.